This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, I think it was 2005 or 2006, around Christmas time, we had um, a really big snow, a few feet, you may remember. Uh, my father and I, my father-in-law and I were heading down to the store uh, to just get some of the necessities. And as we were driving down to the store, which wasn't all that uh, far of a drive for us, we encountered a number of people who were sort of slid off the road. And so um, he had a big truck and we were helping people sort of get out of the predicament that they'd found themselves in. Well, we got into the parking lot where we were going and there was another car that was stuck. It was, it was a Jeep. And, and so we, nothing against Jeeps, as you'll hear in just a moment, we uh, went over to the car and uh, talked to the person, <clears throat> woman, who was inside. Um, and uh, we said, hey, what's the, what's the problem? She said, well, I'm, I'm stuck. And my father-in-law looked in, and he had a Jeep too, and looked in and said, well, have you tried putting it in four-wheel drive? And she says, kid you not, I didn't know I had four-wheel drive. <laughs> and we said, well, we can't help you then. We'll see, why don't you just pray, and we'll see you later, right? Um, so here, here's what we did. We just opened the driver's side door, had her put in parking, you know, pulled it into four-wheel drive, and she was off. Praise be to God. And we were heroes, right? I mean, she's like, you guys are amazing. Uh, no, your car's just wired for this, ma'am. Maybe why you bought a Jeep, I don't know. Could come in handy another time. Just, uh, and so uh, I think a lot of us live this Christian life and our wheels spin. And maybe, just maybe, we don't know we have four-wheel. Maybe, I think there's a lot of Christians that I talk to, a lot of followers of the way of Jesus, who, when we start to unpack and we start to really talk about um, what are the things that God has designed and wired and invited us to do and become and believe in order to be free in the way that he longs us to be free, there's just um, a lack of awareness of what the scriptures actually really teach about walking with Jesus. Last week, we, we made the point that God doesn't just want us to survive 2015. He wants us to thrive. He, he longs for us to become alive uh, to the work of the Spirit in our life and to not just get through the year, but to thrive. But we said last week that, that I don't know, if you're, if you're programmed like me, you start to just um, make a list of things at the beginning of the year that you want to do and that you want to be and that you want to accomplish uh, I'd love to be a better dad, I'd love to be a better father, I'd want to be a better pastor, I just want to be a better person in general, right? And so we start to make these lists, and we start to plan. And what I did last week is I wanted to point us back to Romans chapter 5, one of the most theologically dense chapters in the entire scripture. And I wanted to invite us to, before we start to strive into the new year, to simply stand in the truth of the gospel. Because I think that standing in the truth of the gospel is, as G.I. Joe said, half the battle. It's probably more than half the battle. But here was the truth that we sort of circled around last week, is that every single um, boy, girl, grandma, grandpa, um, uh, my mom, your mom, your husband, and you're like, I know my husband was an Adam, okay? I know he was. Um, Mother Teresa, 
I mean, every single person you has, that has ever walked the face of the planet, Romans chapter 5 is going to say that they were born, oh, this guy too. That's probably you, okay? Um, they were born into Adam. They were born into sin. They were born into what, what Paul describes in Romans chapter 5 as the reign of death. Um, this is why uh, you could turn on the news and the world is an extremely painful place to live. But the truth of the matter is, is that for followers of Jesus, faith in Christ, when we put faith in Jesus, we are placed in Jesus. And what the scriptures say is that no longer do we live under the reign of death, but we live under the reign of life. This free gift of God given by faith and only by faith, not by ritual, not by performance, not by what you can do for Jesus, but by what he's already done for you, that by faith we are placed into him. Praise be to God. That's a place for an amen, yeah. Yeah. Praise be to God. All right, we're going to learn this eventually, okay. And so every single person that has faith in Jesus is placed into Jesus. We get his righteousness freely. It's given to us. Our relationship with God is, um, is mended, is made whole. That, that when we have faith in him, the scriptures say we have peace with God. We stand in grace and we live under the weight of his divine love. Wow. So you may have walked away from last week going, well, that's great, Paul said. That doesn't solve the problem. <laughs> like, I still agree with what the Apostle Paul wrote. This is still the narrative of my life. I don't understand my own actions. For I, for I do not do what I want. Like, the list you have going, I just, you just can't accomplish it. Anybody already um, messed up one of their New Year's resolutions? Willing to stand in front of you and say, I made enough of them to miss a few already. Yeah. I don't do what I want to do. And he goes on to say, but I do the very thing that I hate. I just can't seem to, maybe this is all true, but how do we make it work? Like, we talked about where we stand, and indeed, that's more than half the battle. But, but this morning, I want to talk about how do we make life in Christ work? What's, what's our part? Because I don't know if you've read through the New Testament, there's a fair number of commands in there, right? Like a fair number of, hey, do this, or hey, don't do this. And so where does that fit? The question when I preach the grace that the scriptures talk about that I always get is, don't you think you're taking it a little bit too far? I mean, because if we continue to preach grace, and I've had people in my office, hey, hey, if we continue to preach grace, isn't it just going to give people a free license to just do whatever they want? Well, well, that's a great question. And you know what? If we're asking that question, can I just affirm to you, we're understanding the argument Paul's making. Because he anticipates us asking that question. So if we don't ask that question, maybe we haven't taken grace far enough. Right, so if we don't ask the question, are we taking this too far? My proposal to you would be that we haven't taken it far enough. Because listen to where, where the Apostle Paul teaches the Roman church after he's said that by faith you're saved, you're redeemed, you're put in Christ, and he's given you his righteousness, and he longs for you to reign 
in life. Listen to what he says. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might abound? Like, like since this is true, since we're in Christ, since by faith we've been put in him, um, signed, sealed, delivered, justified, sealed, holy before the throne of God, should we just go ahead and do whatever we want? So in light of last week, now that we stand in grace and we live in peace and we live under love, should we just go and continue to do whatever we want? And Paul says, by no means, verse 2. In the Greek, it's just like emphatic. Um, the word is meganoitic. May it never be. May it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? So he goes, there's something that happened in the very core of who you are. When you were transferred from Adam to Jesus by faith, something happened in you. Something was transformed in you. You, you died to the sin that used to hold you captive. So how could it rain if you're dead to it? We're going to unpack that a little bit more, but listen to the way he goes on. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, uh, meaning um, not, not water baptism here, but just associated with, this is baptized into Christ. We're, we're in him. We're in him. Those who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were baptized, therefore, with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, or you also, might walk in the, what's the phrase? Newness of life. All right, so again, he's going to hit this theme. You weren't designed to just exist in 2015. You weren't designed to just make it. You were ex- designed to walk in the newness of this beautiful life that Jesus longs for you to grasp onto and longs for you to walk in for your joy and for his glory. So I've been around church a long time. And usually this is where we get into, all right, here's three things you need to do, right? And all of them are based around try a little bit harder, do a little bit more, strive, strive, strive. And you can just see the writing on the wall, right? You're like, all right, I'm going to take these notes, but I know I'm going to blow it. So before we get to the four things, you're going, there's four blanks here, Paulson. I know you're coming at me with with something, right? So before we get there, I want to go big picture and and teach you what the scriptures say about walking in the newness of life. How do we do this? Because first and foremost, it starts not with a to-do list, but a mind change, a mind shift. Skip down with me to verse 14, maybe my favorite passage of Scripture in the whole Bible, or maybe better said, the passage of Scripture in the Bible that's brought the most freedom to my life. This is what Paul says to the Roman church. You want to know how to walk in newness of life? He says this, for sin will have no, what's the word? Dominion. Sin will not reign over you. Death will not reign over you like it did when you were in Adam. Now that you're in Jesus, sin will not have a hold on you that you are unable and unequipped to get loose of. Well, praise be to God, right? Because if we can get there, then uh, maybe, just maybe, we can do all the things that God dreamed that we would do. If sin wasn't an issue, maybe we could 
be the kind of people that Jesus says we can be. For sin will have no dominion over you since or because. So he's going to tell you how that can be a reality in your life. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, under grace. So here's what Paul just did. He just flipped our paradigm on its head. See, because we think, well, if we preach too much grace, well, maybe, just maybe, people are going to go, well, um, if we keep doing that, people are just going to do whatever they want. They're going to walk however they want. They're going to just live licentious lives that don't reflect God at all. And and what Paul says is, um, actually, it's the exact opposite. You want to walk in freedom? No. That God isn't up there just keeping track of how many good things you do and how many bad things you do. Know that the way you measure your relationship with God is by the free merited favor that is all over your life that flows from the hill of Calvary, from the throne of God, down to you. You want to walk in freedom? It's not about what you do do and what you don't do. That, that's Adam type of thinking. But here, you want to walk in freedom in Jesus. The way you start to do that is by actually believing, I'm no longer under law. I was under law here. But the grace of God has freed me from that. And now I am a child of his divine favor. Oops. See, here's here's what Paul's teaching. He's teaching a completely different paradigm to life. That life flourishes when we recognize that we are not slaves to the law. So so it's this idea of my goal, what's in the center of my vision is not I'm going to try to do X, Y, and Z. If I do them, here's the problem. If I succeed, I'm prideful right? If I fail, which is more likely, it's just me, maybe you're more likely to succeed, but, but if, I, if I succeed, I'm prideful. If I fail, I'm devastated because my worth is tied up in my performance. And he goes, no, 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 you're not, you're no, no longer slaves to the law. You are subjects of grace. It's all over your life. You may not recognize it. You may not know it, but it's all over your life. Listen to the way that the Amplified Version sort of amplifies this. Um, Verse 14, it says, For sin shall not, no longer exert dominion over you, since you are not under law as slaves, but under grace as subjects of God's favor and mercy. What a beautiful statement. So the question becomes, how do we measure our life? Is our, is our life measured by the things that we've accomplished, the do's and don'ts, the sin that we have, by the strength of our own willpower weeded out of our life? That's, that's fighting under Adam. Is that the measuring stick of our life? Because a lot of people view the the four-wheel drive of Christianity as try harder, do more, pull up your bootstraps, get to work. Or is the measuring stick of our life, I'm a child of God. 
under his divine favor, a subject of grace and mercy. Here's the ironic piece of what Paul's saying. He's saying there's two paths in front of you. You can continue to live under Adam or you can, or you can live in Jesus. You can go and live under law. That that's the banner that's over your life. And, and then you can either be prideful or devastated. One of the two, but there's probably no in between. Or you can live under the beauty and hope and joy of his grace. Because there's, there's two ways. And the one that actually produces fruit in the life of the believer. This is a practical teaching. It's couched in theology, but it's extremely practical. You want to make progress in your life? You want 2015 to be different? It's not about ritual. It's not about performance. It's not a list of do's and don'ts that's going to make you productive in the new year. It's not a, if you were productive in the last year, it's not a list of to do's and don'ts that you did that year either. It was recognizing the scriptures say, you're under grace not under law. That's different, isn't it? It's different than what I grew up thinking and I grew up in the church, but this is a really practical teaching by the Apostle Paul. I love the way that John Stott says it. He says this, knowing that we are under grace and not under law is the ultimate secret. So shh, it's the ultimate secret of freedom from sin. You want to walk in the joy of Jesus? Walk in his grace. Here's the thing, because we always worship our way into sin, and we, always, and we worship our way out. So the heart captivated by grace is a worshiping heart that keeps Jesus at the center and starts to transform us. And it's not about what can I do, what can I do, what can I do? It's about, oh my gosh, look at what he's done, look at what he's done, look at what he's done. And then you look at the wake of your life and as you live with this awe of the grace of God at the forefront of your mind, the wake of your life starts to look like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and Self-control, right? Ever wonder why they call it fruit of the Spirit? And not works of the Spirit? I don't know, I, we, we used to live in a place in Southern California there was, where there were some vineyards that were there. And I never walked through the vineyard and heard, let's do this! No. No, it's this. Let's be connected to the vine who's connected to the source of life. That's our job. Uh, it's the four-wheel drive of Christianity. But it takes a completely different perspective. So here's what I want to do for the next 15 minutes. I want to unpack how do we walk in the rhythms of this grace? How do we walk in the rhythm? Of grace, And what I want to do is go back to where we left off in chapter 6 and just unpack all the verses that lead up to verse 14 where Paul drops this theological bomb on us that actually the way to be free from sin is not by trying harder and realizing all the, to do, the do's and the don'ts, but to realize the banner that covers our life is grace. Here's how he says this works itself out and how to make it a reality. Verse 5, for if we have been united with Christ, here's what he's saying. He's going, you're in, the, you're in the Jesus Tupperware, okay? If we've been united with Christ, with him, 
in a death like his, we shall certainly be united to him in a resurrection like his. Great news, yes? Amen. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Okay, so just a quick time out here. Because many, many, many Christians, they, they, they're driving, they're, they're going along with Paul, and you get here and you're like, there's no way that can be true. What he just said was, your old nature is crucified. It's, it's dead. Now, it, it's sort of like Princess Bride dead, okay? Not like totally dead. But rendered, so, so read, rendered powerless, okay? Rendered powerless unless, look up at me, unless you give it its power back, okay? And how do we do that? Well, a lot of times we do it by going, there's no way that's true. Brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's great, great news, right? For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. So here's this whole point. You're with Christ. So, so how do we walk in the freedom that he designed for us? How do we walk in the grace we de- he designed for us? Not under law, but under grace. Here, here's what we do. First thing we recognize is that we're with him. You are in him. Right now. Do you know that the scriptures say in Ephesians chapter 1 that you, uh, or uh, chapter 2 actually, you've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Uh, Sometimes the scriptures are going to use this word remain. Sometimes they'll use the word abide. You might remember Jesus teaching to his disciples in John chapter 15. And he says this, abide in me and I in you. So as you, as you set the disposition of your soul towards a loving father, as you learn to cultivate throughout your day this awareness of his presence and his goodness and his love, he abides with you. You ever met somebody like that? Where the, where the presence of Jesus is just all over him? As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He goes, that's the way I've wired you. That's the way I've programmed you. In order to um, walk in life and bear the fruit of life, you need to be connected to the author of life. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things. No, 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 no. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So he's saying, hey, the secret to all of life is to recognize that by the divine favor of a gracious father, by faith you have been placed in him. I love the way that Jesus goes on to describe this. He says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. So in the same way that Jesus is loved by his father, you are loved by Jesus. I mean, let's close in prayer. Right? Some people are going, yes. <laughs> Amen. And then he gives us this beautiful invitation. So abide in my love, he says. It's this picture of learn to make this your center. Learn to make this your home. 
Learn to make the love of God where you lay your head at night and where you get up in the morning. Learn to cultivate an awareness of this favor that flows from the throne of heaven. And as you do that, sin will no longer be your master because you'll recognize you're under grace, not under law. Remain in me, he says. Abide in my love. So maybe in 2015, you learn how to do that a little bit better. Maybe you learn to cultivate this awareness, a a prayerfulness. That's not just, God, help me do this, and God, help me not do that, or God, please, please, please do this. But maybe our prayer life starts with, God, allow me to abide in the love that flows from your throne. Let me recognize it. Let me make my home in it. Let me be it where I wake up and where I go to sleep. Great Puritan author, John Owen, wrote this. He said, if we do not abide in prayer, we will abide in temptation. So he says, this is the secret, is being connected to your father. Let this be one aspect of our daily intercession. So he's going to say, pray this. God, preserve my soul and keep my heart in all its ways so that I will, it will, not, I will not be entangled. He says, when this is true in our lives, a passing temptation will not overcome us. We will remain free while others lie in bondage. So maybe this year we, just, we cultivate this prayerful awareness and abide in the love of our Father. Um, verse 11, Paul continues. He says, so you must consider yourselves dead. So, so it's this idea of reckon, your, reckon that you're dead. Remind yourself that you're dead. Tell yourself that you're dead. Now, that, if we were to just pull it out of this sermon, could make a really interesting YouTube clip, right? Remind yourself you're dead. Tell yourself you're dead. Wake up in the morning and declare your death. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. So we remain. Here's the second thing we do. We remember. We remember that we're dead to sin. We remember that um, when Jesus died because of faith in him, when he died, we died with him. And when he was raised, as we're going to talk about in just a second, and when he was raised, we were raised with him. But here's the thing. That is a slippery truth, is it not? And oftentimes we go, well, I'm just, I'm just powerless. I really can't live any differently. And so our inner dialogue, the narrative that we start to believe and we start to function is, in is, well, I've never seen that and I've never experienced that. Therefore, it's not true. May I propose to you that you've never seen it and that you've never experienced it because you're convinced it's not true. Because of your faith in Jesus, you've been placed in Christ, and the only power sin has in your life is the power you give to it. So, so I'd suggest, like, maybe you start an inner dialogue with sin that personifies sin a little bit. Oh, you want me to do that sin? I don't think so. Uh, I'm sorry, you want me to go look at that with my eyes? No, my eyes aren't, aren't for you anymore, sin. I've, I've died to you and I'm alive to Jesus. You want me to go there in my mind? I'm unwilling to go there. You want me to lie just to look a bit, little bit better? I don't need to do that anymore. 
And maybe you just start with this inner dialogue of reminding yourself, I don't need to, sin doesn't have that power over me to control me. I actually, any power sin has in my life is a power I freely give it. So Paul goes, hey, remind yourself of that. You're not only, Christian, you are not only free from the presence of sin. Sorry, from the punishment of sin. You're also free from the power of sin. You're, you're free from the, from, from, I need to look at my notes, sorry. From the punishment of sin, yes. And I think most followers of Jesus would believe that. But what this passage is teaching is that you're also free from the power of sin in your life. I, I read um, an article this week. It was about an 89-year-old couple, uh, Victor and Thelma. Uh, they're Canadian, and, and they won the Canadian lottery. It was over $7 million Canadian dollars at the age of 89. Of course, like, the news loves this, so they bring them in, and they do this interview with them, and, and Thelma and Victor sit down, and, and here was their declaration um, to the reporter. They said, hey, um, we're really too old to change the way that we live all that much. We're going to stay in the house that we have retired in. And they said, we are going to do a few things a little bit differently, though. Uh, Victor pipes up, I'm going to get a Lincoln Town Car. (laughs) And Thelma looks at the reporter and goes, and I'm going to get a new pair of nylons. (laughs) I'd like to think at that point, Victor looked at her and went, huh. I'm going, all right, $7 million. And you're going to do next to nothing with it. I wonder what you do with the gift God's put in front of you. I think a lot of our Christian life looks a little bit like Thelma and Victor. Where where you go, there's so much you could do. And you're going to do nothing. This battle rages right here. So here's what. Paul says to this church, to you and to me, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body as if you have the ability to do that. To make you obey its passions, he says again, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. So here's what he said. Here's where you sort of get into this nitty gritty of what do we actually do? Well, we determine and we resolve to live under the grace and mercy of God in such a way where we remind ourselves we're dead to sin and we remind ourselves, I don't have to walk down that pathway anymore. I don't have to look at that on the internet anymore. I don't have to lash out against my kids anymore. I don't have to fill in the blank. I don't have to go there anymore. And Paul says, you don't have to go there anymore, so don't go there anymore. But not a legalistic, if I go there then, but a grace-driven, I'm free because of what God has given me to walk in life under the reign of life, not under the reign of death. I'm free. So the question becomes, how do we, how do we fight? 
What does your inner dialogue look like when sin crouches at your door and knocks on it? Is, it? is your inner dialogue, well, this is just sort of the family I was raised in. These are the decisions I've made. This is the pattern I've set up. And I really can't get out of it. That's Adam thinking. Or is your thinking, I'm free. I'm free by the grace of God. I'm, I'm covered, I'm holy, I'm spotless, I'm blameless. And maybe even in the back of your mind you go, and, and even if I walk down this road, that none of that changes, which ironically makes you want to walk down that road less if you really get it. How do you fight? And the scriptures say, fight in Christ. Believe the gospel. This is how you fight. And he says, and then don't offer your body to something that's going to rob you of life. The grace and mercy of Jesus has done enough to provide a way out. Okay, so this is why we're passionate about a thriving Celebrate Recovery ministry here. Because we believe that that's a difficult transition to make. And it's not just try harder, but it's surround yourself with the goodness of the gospel and allow Jesus to work in you in such a way where you start to walk in a way where you reign in life, not where you reign in death. Finally, here's what he says. He finishes, and we'll finish here too. Don't offer your, don't present your members, uh, your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but, so the contrast of that, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. So you could walk down that path and present yourself to sin and death, but why would you do that, he goes? Why would you walk away from the author of life? No, 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 no. Instead of walking away from him, walk to him. So this is an invitation. Uh, many times when the Bible says, don't do this, it will give you um, an opposite thing to replace it with. That, that's the way our soul's wired. We, we, we don't just stop doing things. We replace it with something better. So he says, don't present your body, your members of your body to sin, but to righteousness. And that will make your heart come alive. So he says, hey, the anecdote to sin, to presenting your bodies to members, as members to sin is worship. Present yourself to God. And that'll start to enliven your soul to the point where sin starts to lose its flavor, starts to lose its taste a little bit. It's like the person that goes to Ruth Chris and sits down with a beautiful dinner, digs in. Sorry, but a chuck wagon beef at the grocery store just isn't going to taste the same after that, right? Or replace with whatever organic gluten-free thing you want, right? <laughs> but he goes, hey, I want to change your palate to where you stop settling for garbage and start pursuing glory. It's way better. So he says this, revere, worship, had to start with an R, you know it did. So we remain, we abide in Jesus. We remember that we're dead 
to sin. We resolve, hey, sin, I'm not walking with you. I'm walking with Jesus. And then we lift high the name of Jesus in our life as we present ourselves to him, our spiritual act of worship. And this creates sort of a pattern in our life where God starts to, as we submit to him, he starts to feed us, he starts to grow us, he starts to enliven us, and we start to say, you know what? Sin doesn't look quite as good as it used to. Not because we're trying harder, but because Jesus is that good. Jesus is that good. Um, I just want to remind you, one of the sort of rhythms of my day that's helpful is instead of starting my day on, on Facebook and all sorts of different options I have or the newspaper, whatever, um, I, I, st- I try to start my day just saying to God, God, I'm giving myself to you today. Sort of this, this um, what we've just talked about, these four things in an abbreviated prayer. Jesus, help me remain in you. Help me remember I'm dead to sin. If I, if I fall into sin, it's by choice, not because I had to. Remind me of that. Jesus, help me to present myself to you and then help me to see you at every corner of my day. My, my, may my day be stamped by your presence and my heart be convicted in worship the entire day. One of the things that helps me, and you can grab one of these bookmarks if you want there at our Welcome Center, is this uh, little um, acronym that we use, REST. Read the scriptures, engage the text, sit with Jesus, and trust and obey. It's a way that we teach people to study the scriptures here that keeps Jesus at the center. Because if we keep Jesus at the center, we'll keep worship at the center. And if we keep worship at the center, we'll worship our way into walking in the way that Jesus did. Go grab one of those on your way out if you don't have one already. I'm going to fly through this here. Here's the way I'd summarize this passage. Walking in grace plus abiding in love equals bearing his fruit. For friend, will you look up at me for just a second? For, great, for sin will have no dominion, power, authority, hook over you. Because you are no longer under law. But you are under the beautiful waterfall of grace. And in a practical way, that makes all the difference in the world. Let's pray. And so, loving Father, we ask that you would help us to remain in your love. You help us to remember, Jesus, what you've done on our behalf, that you've freed us from the slave master of sin. You've brought us into life through Jesus. Would you help us walk in that in a real practical way to resolve to say, I'm not, I'm not walking the path of death anymore. I've had enough death in my life already. But Jesus, for, for your glory and for my joy, and because it's the way you wired me and you are the author of life, I'm walking with you. And Jesus, as we do that, may our hearts well up with worship to the point that we are changed people.
all for your glory. And all God's people said, amen, amen. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.